Well, I'm going to be reading from Romans 12, uh, quite a large chunk of the uh, chapter, but we're going to concentrate on one verse in particular this morning as we look forward uh, to this series that uh, we're starting, which is being effective church. We've been through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, some say the greatest teaching that has ever been taught by Jesus, and he sat on the mountainside, didn't he? He sat down, as we said, as rabbis did at that time, and had something important to say. And he tells us and shows us and demonstrates us how to live. And uh, we've moved on from that, not that we're going to forget it, but we're going to start looking about things we do and is it effective. And, and today I want to look about, uh, uh, talk about our passion. But Romans 12, you need a Bible to put, uh, put a hand up, they appear. Uh, but I'm going to read from Romans 12 uh, and we'll go right down to uh, verse 16. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So a nice chunk of scripture, which is good. It's good uh, to get into the Bible. I'm going to concentrate on one verse there. Uh, No surprise to you, because you can see it on the overhead, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. I love reading the book of Acts. I'm sure most of you have read the book of Acts. I like the book of Acts, the story of the early church. New believers... Uh, good preaching, baptisms, passionate evangelism, passionate following of Jesus, uh, from a, a group of 12 people to 72, to the whole world, radical lives lived for Christ. Love for one another, serving God, serving others, building each other up, not putting each other down. Devotion to meeting, worshipping and praying together, a willingness to learn together as well. And you could say to me, well Ian, that's history. And you'd be right, that was something that happened in history. It happened many years ago. But the child definition of of God's great story is it's his story. And you and me and us right now together, we're the ongoing, living, dynamic 
people-changing, situation-changing, world-changing part of that right now. It's called Acts, as I've said before. Uh, Well, not really. I don't know the real reason why it's called Acts, but uh, I like to think it's because they acted. They got on with it. It wasn't the doctrine of the apostles or the wishful thinking of the apostles. It was the Acts. They were energetic. They were passionate about their message. They were passionate about Christ. They were passionate about the church. They were passionate about growth. And we're part of that story now. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. This is our time. It's no, we can look back and learn many lessons of what was going on, but this is us now. And we can hanker for, oh, wouldn't it be good to see more of what they had? And of course we want that. But this is our time now. And we can be so focused on the past, we miss the now, the presence, the presence. This is our legacy that we will leave now. Whatever we do as a church now, we'll leave for the next generation. But what was their secret? Their secret, their motivation then, and what really should be our motivation now? They were driven and energised by their faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't necessarily things they did, the sense of duty, or I'd better do this or else. They loved Christ, they loved his message, and they had passion for him. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they did a great work. And so the title of the sermon, as you can see there, is Effectively Energised by Faith. If we try and be energised by anything else, uh, we end up sort of crashing and burning. If we try and do things on our own without God in the church, then you know, we can put on a service and it might be good, but without God, that's all it is. With God, it's everything. They were energised and driven by their faith in Jesus Christ. They were energised and driven by the work that Christ did out of love for you on the cross. They realised that he put himself on the cross to take our wrongdoings and put them on himself so that we might be free. They were passionate about his teaching. We've just been through the Sermon on the Mount. And they were passionate about living that out. They were passionate about his life and his example. And they were passionate about his presence. And we need to be passionate about his presence. When we worship this morning, his presence is with us. When his word is preached, his presence is with us. It's his word. It's not my word, it's his word. His presence is with us now, as we said at the beginning. More than just a doctrine, it's a reality. And we can be energised by that presence. Let's not miss the time that we're in now. Let's not miss what God is doing already, not just in this church, but in churches across the world. Those that honour his word and worship him in spirit and truth, he's working among them. Let's not miss the fact that we can still pray for revival. Let's not miss the opportunities that we have in this town where the majority of people don't know him. Let's not miss it because we hanker after the past. Paul wrote these letters. Paul the Apostle, he'd been shipwrecked and beaten, or it's part of his story, shipwrecked and beaten, driven out of uh, villages and towns where he went to preach. If you read the book of Acts, it gets a bit, I wouldn't say monotonous, I don't mean it like that, but you know, go to a town, preach the gospel, get converts. Get... He was persecuted, and preach the gospel, get converts, get driven out. Um, he was persecuted, and he wrote these words, in spite of all that effectively, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. And most of us here know what it's like to get discouraged. I know what it's like to get discouraged. It's easy to get discouraged or I feel a bit low or I'm feeling burnt out. And Is it duty rather than, uh, rather than service, what I want to do out of choice? 
I know this happens because sometimes people start to complain about what they're doing rather than see it as an opportunity to serve Christ and his church. It becomes too much of a burden. And then, the issue then is they miss or forget the privilege, the excitement of what it is to serve Christ, of recognising what he's done for us. It becomes dull, boring even. And we start to look at all what's wrong rather than the, the, the majority of what's right. Negativity creeps in, complaining. Things go wrong and it's a big drama. It wears them down until finally they've had enough. There's a story I heard um, uh, about somebody who didn't get along very well with his wife. Uh, no one in this church. Uh, in fact, they kind of went through their marriage just enduring one another. It wasn't much of a marriage. And the only person he hated more than his wife was his wife's mother, the mother-in-law. <laughs> and one day they were having a, a cosy discussion and they were being relatively civil. And his wife said to him, I know you don't like me very much and I know the only person you dislike more than me is my mother. He said, that's right. She said, would you do me one favour? If I die before you do, at my funeral, will you promise me that you'll ride in the car with my mother behind the hearse? She said, let me get this straight. You want me to ride with your mother in the car behind the hearse at your funeral? That's right, she said. He said, okay, I'll do it. But it will take the pleasure out of the ride. There are too many people not having joy in the ride. I'm not saying it's that one. They're just not enjoying life very much. And some people have so much, yet they're just about getting along. They're just enduring it. There are people around us who are simply marking time. I can walk down the high street and I see the lostness in people's faces. And it's horrible. And you, you know, you don't know whether to be the crazy evangelist and you know, start preaching to them or just get alongside them, it's probably a better way. But you see the lostness, I see it. And you can see people going through life thinking the next big thing will sort everything out. But really they're just marking time, they're counting off days, months and years on the calendar. They always think the next thing will really, that will sort them out and bring them happiness. So when you're at school, yeah, I can't wait to leave school. I'll be happy when I leave. When they get their career, I'll be happy once I get a job. When they get it, I'll be happy once I get promoted. And then love. If I could just get married and have a family, then I'll be happy. And then they work, and while they're working for the job that they really wanted, they think, when I retire, when I retire, then I'll be happy. And then they retire, and, and, and I know this from people I know. They retire and they say, what do I do now? <laughs> Golf is my answer. <laughs> what now? And then their life's over and they've wished most of it away. They haven't lived. They haven't lived. Jesus Christ said in John 10:10, 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. You're not supposed to wish our life away, you're supposed to live it. And of course we're going to be with him for eternity if we trusted in him. But he wants us to live life now. What an adventure we've got, the parable of the talents. We've only, we've only been given certain gifts and things that are given to us on this earth. Let's make the most of them. Let's make your life count for the kingdom of God. The Bible is about living life. It's not always easy. We know that from the stories in there. But Paul says somebody who knew what it was to suffer, he had great privilege. 
and then he became a Christian and, and then he was persecuted. The persecutor became the persecuted. But he still writes, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. This isn't a deep uh, or mysterious teaching or very, very theological to work out. Just basic practical words for what the Bible says we should be doing. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervour. Serve in the Lord. What a privilege it is to be part of this movement that started all those years ago. And we're part of it now. We don't do these things to become a Christian. We do these things because we are Christians. So how do we do it? Two headings, you can see them up there. First one, serving Jesus in your life with enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, I love that word. I love it when people are enthusiastic. You can be enthusiastic about the wrong thing. Hitler was enthusiastic, but he was wrong. Uh, Some people say it's okay, uh, whatever you believe, as long as you sincerely believe it. We'll tell that to the people he killed. It does matter what we believe, but we do like enthusiasm. I like enthusiasm in the church. I'd love to see more enthusiasm in the church. I love the word. Sometimes I feel that people think that the more spiritual you are, the sadder you need to look. Why is that? Why is that? We did, um, I've not got this in my notes, but I just, we had Alpha on Thursday and it was talking about why and how do I pray. And uh, we were talking and uh, we sort of said, why is it that people feel like they're in pain when they pray? You ever notice that? I'm smiling. I'm going to say, let's pray. Lord. <laughs> but some people, it seems to me, think the more spiritual you are, the sadder you are, the less excited you are. You be humble and holy. But the opposite is true. The word enthusiasm comes from two words. Did you know that? There's N and theos. Theos means God. The more in God you are, the more enthusiastic you will be about godly things. The Apostle Paul was, clearly when you read the Bible, was a very, very enthusiastic and persuasive man with so much energy and drive. He would have needed his rest like we all do, but his passion for the word and for Christ and what he had done was incredible. But sometimes when I walk along the high street or uh, sometimes even in church, you can see people who are a little bit bored, maybe a bit complacent, maybe just used to what's going on. Because sometimes I think we're just in such an excitement-driven culture. And don't get me wrong, I love excitement. We're going on holiday later in the year. I don't love it that much, you're going to find out. Um, And uh, there's this zip wire which apparently links Portugal to Spain. So my son said, we're going on that, Dad. I said, who are you talking to? I'm not going on it. <laughs> so he is. They've got to get a boat back. You know, and I, was, I wouldn't have booked it. Andrew booked it, but she's booked it. And so I said, he can't go on his own. So his mate's coming now, and they're doing it with him. I'm, I like excitement, uh, like the rest of us. I love the fairground rides. But we are in this excitement-driven culture, thrill-driven culture. We go from one adventure theme park metaphorically, to the next. We want want to ride the roller coaster, have the big spiritual high, and of course that's good, but we want to go bigger and faster and better and further than the one we rode before. We're always looking for the next thrill. And in between all of these sort of artificial thrills and these action-packed movies and television shows that we see, we sit back and say, well, actually my life's a bit boring. Or this is boring. It's a bit ho-hum. I've been there, seen it, done it. Bought the T-shirt. So what do we do when complacency sets in? The Bible says to combat it with enthusiasm. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervour. Serve in the Lord. Serve in the Lord with enthusiasm. We don't have to moan about it. We don't have to come and say, oh, I've got to, do this. I've got to write a sermon today. They're all going to expect it on Sunday. 
And then I've got an evening. I mean, people in the office might say that I do that sometimes. I might let them know when I'm a little bit busy. But I don't moan about it. I say, I've got a lot to do today. Probably do moan about it a bit. But it's a real privilege. It's a privilege because I know I'm serving God. I want to serve him with enthusiasm. I want us to be a people, and God wants us to be a people, excited about Jesus. I pray that I never lose my energy, my enthusiasm, my excitement, the fire that God gives us himself. I think it's a grave thing and very serious matter to make the Bible and Jesus boring, because he's not. Some churches I've been to, and I say with all respect, are boring, I'm afraid to say. They say they're going to start at 11 sharp and they end at 12 dull. (laughs) Took a while, didn't it? (laughs) But if the Bible teaches us that we really know who Jesus is and we know what's coming to us in the future, then we should be full of enthusiasm because we know the end of the story. I said recently, didn't I? There's all the turmoil going on in the world and Billy Graham came out and said, it's okay, we're all going to be fine. I've read the last book in the Bible. So in verse 11, we'll be never, we should never be lacking in zeal. Uh, we can be enthusiastic, as I said, about the wrong thing. I've got a little story for you because it's getting a bit heavy uh, and uh, there's much more I need to say. But as a young vacuum cleaner salesman, he was very enthusiastic, very enthusiastic, a very good salesman. And he had a, a really good sales technique where he'd go to the house and he'd have a bunch of dirt in his pocket. And he'd get to the front of the house and when they opened the door, before they could say anything, he'd throw the dirt on their, on their, on their uh, carpet. And then they'd have to use the vacuum cleaner, right? So he went up to one house and he threw a handful of dirt on the kitchen floor and he said to the lady at the door, Madam, if my vacuum cleaner doesn't suck up every morsel of that dirt, I'll eat it. She said, here's a spoon, Sonny, we don't have any electricity. <laughs> We're not talking just about any old enthusiasm. We're talking about spiritual zeal, spiritual enthusiasm. And I found it has nothing to do with your chronological age. Some of the older people I know have more passion than some of the younger people I know. I've known people in their 60s, 70s and 80s who feel they just look like they've just been with Jesus. And you see it emanating from them. I remember my last church, we had a a baptismal service when one of our youngsters got baptised in the evening and uh, this guy stood up, he'd been a uh, big, um, I don't know what you say. he's not a big fellow, he's not anything, well he's something now, he's died now, but he was, a, he was smaller than me, which is the bar's not high to be fair, and, um, but we had this baptism and he kind of stood up and he, soon after he was, put, he was in a home, he couldn't go on his legs anymore, and he held on to the, we still had pews then, he held on to the pew and he was shaking, and, he, and I believe it was a prophetic word, um, and he just stood up, he interrupted the service, and he, he said, I've done everything I can do and I can't, I can't get over the passion and his energy in a body that was failing. And he said, We've done every, I've done everything I can do. I've done it and I've been faithful. And he, I think he quoted this scripture. I've not been lacking. I've kept my spirituality, but it's time now. And he said to the person, he said, it's time now. We're giving you the baton. We're giving you the baton and you've got to take the baton like a relay race and keep running and pass it on. And keep the passion. He said, I've, he said, I'm done. And he sat down and he soon went into a home and he, he died a few years later. Lovely man. But he did. He served the Lord with all his heart. But it, it's not just, it's for any age, isn't it? That's enthusiasm. On the other hand, I can know people that are young, 
20s, maybe 30s, which is young to me now. used to feel old, but now it's young. Who are bored with life. They don't seem to have any enthusiasm about life or Christ. Verse 11, do not be lacking in zeal. You ever, you ever uh, people go on their honeymoon, don't they? Most people, I think. Uh, they go on their honeymoon, and you have never seen a young married couple coming back from a honeymoon. Uh, you, when you do, you, you, uh, sorry, you do get people come back from their honeymoons. <laughs> That's some honeymoon. Never saw them again. Um, but they always come back excited, enthusiastic. You say, how was the honeymoon? They don't say, they don't say, do you have a good, you know, when you say, how was the honeymoon? Do you have a good time? Yes, it was thrilling. Do they? They say, oh, it's really good. We did this, we did that, and we did jet biking and all the other stuff they do. Uh, yes, it was thrilling. Well, did you want to stay longer on your honeymoon? No. Actually, we wanted to come back and go to work. We were in Hawaii, you know. It was beautiful. You never talk to a newly married couple who come back from a honeymoon and expect them to talk like that. They don't exist. Honeymoons do. But not those bad stories, you know, where they're just bored already. They've just gotten married. They're all excited, or at least they should be. But sometimes you see it with Christians. Not on their honeymoon, just in their terminology. And we've got to be careful because other people, outsiders, can be put off. They can be put off because they look at us and we, we don't seem that excited about this brilliant news that we've got. You wouldn't want to come to know Jesus, would you? He's made such a difference to me. <laughs> changed my life. And I'm full of joy. <laughs> they are looking at you. The Bible says we ought to have zeal and enthusiasm. So nurture it. And we're going to look at that at the end, uh, which we're coming to. So second point, stay fired up for Jesus, even when complacency uh, creeps in. I like that sort of term, fired up. I want to be on fire for Jesus. We love that, don't we? But look at the last part of verse 11, those words, spiritual fervour. Spiritual fervour, it's like, it means a fire. It boiling over, the passion. It means you're so fired up that people want to know more about who you're fired up about. Luke 12, verse 49, people are amazed when they, uh, uh, they see that Jesus made a statement like this. He said, I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. We don't want to go out. You know, we don't want to be just embers. We want to be on fire with passion. In other words, he's saying, I've come to do something. I've come to ignite this fire, and I wish it was already lit. I wish they were already on fire. And he's, is he talking about the destructive nature of fire that burns down trees and kills people? No, he's not. He's talking about the positive aspect of fire. It gives energy, it warms, it illuminates, it radiates. In the Bible, we know these stories, don't we, about God's powerful presence being symbolised by fire. When he spoke to Moses, it was through a burning bush. When God answered Elijah on Mount Carmel, he answered with fire from heaven. Malachi writes in chapter 3, our God is like a refiner's fire. That's what Jesus is talking about. He wants us to have that fire. He says effectively, he's come to put in each person's heart a burning, penetrating fire of the powerful presence of God. He's coming, he's saying, I want to light this fire in you. Elsewhere he said, John the Baptist baptised you with water, I'm going to baptise you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. He said, I want you to, he's effectively saying, I want you to be so fired up with the very glory and presence of God that when people look at you, they will see you glowing. And I want to ask us, do people see that? You know, I have this image in my head of 
of hundreds of Christians, which we could call ourselves, walking out onto Billericay High Street. And just imagine flooding Billericay High Street in the restaurants, the bars, the shops, whatever it is, and have been those people of presence. Having just worshipped God, imagine that. If people said, who are these people? It would be amazing. Jesus comes to light that fire. John Wesley, who's the founder of the Methodist Church, does anyone know how tall he was? I'm going to give you a clue. He's shorter than me. So, under six foot. <laughs> I'm not lying. He was four foot eleven. But I'm just trying to make a point. He was four foot eleven. He got kicked out of the Anglican Church. He got kicked out because he was preaching the Bible. So, they had to go out in the fields and preach in the countryside of England. And in one community, they, they didn't like this. This was unheard of at the time. If John Wesley comes here and preaches, we're going to beat him up and run him out. Echoes of Paul the Apostle. But it didn't deter him. He still went out, he'd go into a field, he'd start preaching. And one story says, halfway through his sermon, uh, here came these ruffians, I printed this off, drunk and carrying clubs and sticks. As they approached him, he didn't stop preaching in his fervent style. The leader of the ruffians stopped and looked at him and said, look, he glows, he glistens, and he sat down. And all of them got saved that day. What was it in John Wesley that allowed God to use him? He had the fire of God in him. He was on fire for Christ. That's exactly what that phrase says we all ought to have. Never be lacking in spiritual fervour. My favourite, guys, because he was a Baptist, was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. Fantastic preacher. But a young preacher came to him and said, how can I have the same impact that you're having? And he said, simple. I mean, I'm not recommending this. I think this is um, an analogy. Pour gasoline over your body, light the match, and people will come and watch you burn. Now, I'm not sure you're saying martyr yourself in that sense. He's saying, have the passion of Christ in your heart, and people want to know more about who you're following. And we need this. And let me ask you, let me ask myself, when somebody's talking about the level of my commitment, your commitment, your personal commitment, are they going to say about me or you, that man, that woman, that teenager, is on fire for Christ? I think the biggest enemy we face uh, in the church today, and for us here as well, is we don't want to get apathetic and complacent. There is so much work to be done. You know, historically, recent history, last hundred years, the church was in Christendom. A lot of people went to church. A lot of people believed in God. But ne- and they had reverence for God. They wanted to know what God said. And the church then was in a pastoral mode. It's just all looking after all the believers. They were mostly coming anyway. Sunday schools were full up. They would have three uh, lessons uh, a day. It was so much. Loads of services. People came to that a belief. So the church didn't really have to be in mission mode. It was pastorally looking after people. But now we're post that. They call it post-Christendom. That time has gone. So now the church, although it's still in pastoral mode, it has to move to mission. It can't, we can't, people don't just walk in off the street. So we have to go out like we're told to. There's lots of manifestos recently. You've been reading, are you looking at manifestos? It's caused some debate. Uh, the Baptist minister's Facebook page has been alight with things. Theological arguments about how Israel was allowed to pass their stuff from generation to generation, but Theresa May's not going to let us. And uh, all sorts of things going on. I'm getting quite nasty on there, uh, which is not a good witness either. But loads of these manifestos. Um, and, you know, history tells us we can't believe everything we hear. But there was a manifesto that was fulfilled in Luke 4.18. It's called the Nazareth 
manifesto, and it was Jesus' words. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach, uh, sorry, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He's reading it. And he said, he says, uh, then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And of course, we're a Pentecost people. The Spirit's been poured out on everybody. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. He has has anointed you. He has appointed you to proclaim good news, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, those people walking down the high street that are lost. They don't feel they're free. They feel constrained to the lies sometimes of the world. We want to see healings. We do see healings. We want to see people set free, the oppressed. We see that. And the question today, is this scripture being fulfilled in our hearing? Is it being fulfilled in your life, seeking his kingdom first, making that difference for God, praying for revival and for people turning towards God when increasingly they're turning away? Not, well, I just don't care attitude. I'm okay. I'm saved. That's up to them. Who, organic, who, we, who will be fired up? Who will be enthusiastic for Christ if it's not his church? And this is what the Bible says we ought to do. So if you're sitting there saying, I find this boring. I find this Christian life boring. Do you know, it's your fault. It's nobody else's fault. Because we're following the most exciting character that ever lived. With the most exciting story which you're part of now that ever was. And we have a legacy to leave. It's not boring. If it's been made boring, that's, that's not God's problem. He is not boring. Get on fire for Jesus. Don't lose that enthusiasm. Ask God to set your heart ablaze with passion for the lost. In the Bible, we're told they weep for the lost. When did I last weep? It's great that we're here in all three congregations, but there's so many that are not. So I need my heart set on fire, and you need yours. And we need the church's passion and enthusiasm to be burning brightly. In, in her mission and the call that Jesus said to go and seek and save the lost. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. To finish off, when we come to worship, when we come to our sacramental life, the baptisms, the communions, we're looking, and you should be looking, to experience God's love, the reality of God's love. And to do that, we need to come prepared and expectant Feel the words that we're singing. Let them penetrate. It moves you to tears. When you, some of those songs we sang, very personal, and they are emotional. Let them penetrate. And then your motivation, the energy, must come from a desire to serve God and one another. And that, what that means is it's less about you. I gave someone recently on Alpha the uh, Purpose Driven Life book. He asked for it. And uh, the first words in that book, it's not about me. Once we get to that, I mean, God cares for me, cares for you, but the world doesn't revolve around me. My energy has to come from a desire to serve God. It's more about him and others. That's the scripture we read. The commandments, love God, love your neighbour. It's pretty simple. They're good, two good goalposts. We need to be engaging with scripture. Connect with it. Don't just read it and it's boring. It's not boring. It's alive. It's active. 
Sharpen a double-edged sword, the Bible says. It will penetrate if you allow it to. So you come to church and you listen. Don't just take these words as Ian's words. They're not. We're preaching the Bible. Or in your devotional time, or the DG groups that meet. And then Acts, you know, the Acts of the Apostle. Do something with it. Don't just hear the word. Be transformed, not just informed. And then nurture your faith in Christ, the true vine, the one who says, stay close to me. Without him, we can do nothing. So I need to remember to stay connected. I can rush off and do churchy stuff, and I'm good, I think. I <laughs> didn't say that. I'm good at doing church, but you have to be church. You know, and we can all fall in the trap of neglecting that side of it. Just be church. Be loving. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervour. Serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Don't curse them. Rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony. Do not be proud. Just sometimes you've got to be church as well as doing church. So we need to nurture that faith in Christ. Realise that passion that God will put in your heart, the commitment that he'll put in your heart. Know your passion. Know your gifting. Know your calling. You know, we can help you find that out if you don't know already. My, my core, I know what my yes is. When I know what my yes is, I know what to say no to. Because I could say yes to a lot of things, as could you, and you'll be burnt out. And then we're not, we're not uh, burning. With, uh, I'll be lacking. Because you can't do everything. Mine is to lead the church, to preach and direct. To help the church, which has always been a passion for me, to seek and save the lost. Taking the words that Paul wrote to that young pastor Timothy, in everything you do, do the work of an evangelist. That's a passion for us. I remember being student pastor. We had five alphas or way ups going at the same time. It was too much looking back. We nearly got burnt out. We couldn't help ourselves. Couldn't help it because that was the passion. But that's my focus, my energy. You need to know what yours is. That's where I never want to be lacking in zeal. That's where I want to keep my spiritual fervour. And that's where I recognise that I'm not uh, serving myself. Hopefully, I'm serving the Lord. Yours will be different. But whatever it is, whatever your ministry here is, please, please don't moan about it. It's a privilege to serve God. But do it with energy and enthusiasm and zeal. You're serving God. If you can't do it with that, if you're doing so much that actually you're resenting it, you need to give some of that up. And just do whatever's left and do it really well. Be focused rather than frenetic. It's another sermon we've got coming. And then we'll be an effective church. Everybody in their gifts. Being released to grow, serving the Lord and making a difference for all those people walking up and down Billericay High Street that are lost. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's encouragement to us. And we pray, Lord, that we'd never be lacking in zeal. We keep our spiritual fervour serving the Lord. But all of us here will recognise there are times when we're low, then we are lacking in energy. And Lord, I pray that we'd be able to look at our lives and see what our yeses should be to know what our noes are as well to know what our core is, the passion that you're giving us. For some, that Lord, that will be evangelism. For others, it will be pastoral care. For others, it will be hospitality. For others, worship. For others, preaching. 
Lord, I pray that we'll all minister in the areas where you've gifted us and anointed us, but that we would do it with passion and gratefulness and a willingness to serve you. Help us to be an effective church where we draw others close to you. Pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to really, really fill us afresh, to overflowing, that others might see us in our lives and be drawn to you. We ask this for your sake and in your name. Amen.